Welcome, glad you're here today. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, if you will, this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, of course, just a few moments ago, we had an opportunity to give via our offering. I want to talk to you uh, from the Bible about uh, New Testament giving uh, from Scripture. I want to look at some uh, some encouragements for us today from the book of 1 Corinthians. And for those of you that are not familiar with the book of First and Second Corinthians, uh, the church at Corinth, uh, the local church that met there at Corinth, was a, a church that had some problems, very much like the problems that we struggle with today. And they had some problems with the world infiltrating the church. They had some problems with... Uh, some relationship problems in the church. They had some problems not really following what they should scripturally. Matter of fact, uh, this afternoon as we at our 4 o'clock service, when we uh, partake of the Lord's Supper uh, as a church family, we're going to look at uh, the book of, in Corinthians and see that a reminder was giving to the, given to this church that they kind of got some things off base. And they kind of gotten away from where they used to be and where they should be. And the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a reset button uh, for this local church. Uh, kind of helps some issues and some problems. Uh, I've got a program uh, service that I use uh, on my laptop uh, called Grammarly. How many of you have ever heard of Grammarly before? Uh, when you're a hillbilly from West Virginia, you have to use Grammarly, uh, so you sound less like a hillbilly from West Virginia. And uh, Grammarly is a program that uh, as you type, as I create emails or as I type sermons and uh, anything that I type, uh, it, I can run Grammarly and it will tell me issues that I have, punctuation issues, capitalization issues, uh, case issues. Uh, it'll even suggest, you know, don't use this word, use this word. Uh, this sounds better. Uh, and it will kind of get things the way they should be. It'll catch misspellings. Uh, it'll catch words that I might use that you probably shouldn't use because I'm a hillbilly. And it's, hey, don't use that. Don't, don't talk like a hillbilly. Use this. Talk like you speak English. And it'll kind of correct some things for me. It's a blessing. It's a help for me. Uh, I highly recommend it. We see here in 1 Corinthians a, a little bit of a program that the Lord has given to this local church to kind of help them in some areas that weren't quite where they should be. And we have a reminder, and I, I want us to look this morning as this reminder, as a, as a reset, as a help, as an encouragement uh, for us this morning. Look, if you will, in verses 1 through 3. Would you follow along with me as I read? Very simple truth here this morning. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, I have given order to the churches of Galatia. Even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Lord, we sure love you. We sure thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together in this place this morning. I thank you for this body of believers, Lord, that seeks to honor you with their life, with their heart, with their time and their talents and their treasure. Lord, I thank you for guests that you brought here today to uh, 
uh, to be with us. Lord, I pray that you would minister to their needs and their hearts. Lord, I pray that they would truly receive a blessing today. Lord, I pray as we open your word together, Lord, as we look here in Corinthians, uh, Lord, that you would give us the teaching, Lord, the reminder uh, of giving according to the Bible, not according to a church, and Lord, not according to our culture, but Lord, according to your word. Lord, help us to get that encouragement, that reset, that uh, reminder of things that maybe we ought to change in our lives individually. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, I thank you that we have an opportunity to be a part of your work. Lord, we are so privileged. We're so blessed. We have such, so many things to be thankful for. This morning, we worship you. We praise you. Lord, we want to lift you up. Lord, you said if you'd be lifted up, you'd draw all men to yourself. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would be the one lifted up today. Lord, may folks come to you. May your word go forth. Lord, I pray you'd help me. Uh, Lord, give me your wisdom. Uh, give me the words to speak. Lord, to be a blessing and a help. Lord, I pray you'd take from my mind and my heart anything that would be a hindrance to your purpose today. Uh, Lord, just minister to the hearts of the dear folks here in this place. In your precious name we pray. Amen. As we look here in the book of 1 Corinthians, we see, as Paul gave to this church, it says in verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. And I love the fact that we have an instruction manual in the Word of God. I'm going to tell my age a little bit this morning. That's okay. Uh, I look like a grandfather, although my... My children have not decided to give me a grandchild yet, but I do look like a grandfather. I, I am 48 years old. I know I look like I'm in my 50s. Uh, I had a chat with a guy uh, down in the States when I was there, and we were talking, and uh, he said something about age, and I said, it was the airport, and we're sitting down together, and he said how old he was, and I said, well, actually, I'm a lot younger than I look, and he looked at me, and he said, how old are you? I said, I'm 48. He said, yeah, you're right. You're a lot younger than you look. But I'm going to tell my age a little bit. I remember when I was a kid, you know, that was back in the 1920s, me and Miss Lois. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, there was a TV show on in the United States called The Greatest American Hero. I don't know if I'd ever played in Canada or not. Anybody ever see that show before? Uh, the guy that was the uh, the hero of the show looked a little bit like Richard Simmons, if that brings back some memories for you. Big blonde afro, obviously it was the late 70s. And the premise of the show, for those of you younger than me and those of you that did not watch horrible TV shows like I watched as a kid, the premise of the show was this guy who was a teacher uh, who had this giant blonde afro. I wish I had that hair right now, Brother Jim. Uh, I'm jealous thinking about having that hair. But he had this big blonde afro. This guy found a super suit. And he got the suit, but he did not get the instruction manual. And it was a comedy. It was him with this suit, and he, he didn't know how to use it. And when he flew, you know, the old uh, you know, superhero movies, you see the superhero flying. He didn't fly like most superheroes because he didn't know how to use the suit. Once he figured out how to fly, he'd, he'd fly into stuff. He'd fly sideways. It was ridiculous. He, he would slowly learn how to do things with the suit. But the whole premise was he missed out, he lost, and did not get the instruction manual. 
And because of that, it was a full comedy of errors of him not knowing how to use it. You know, if we took a, a young teenager from the room today and we put them in a room and in that room there was a rotary dial telephone, if there was an old uh, cabinet TV without a remote and we locked them in there and they had to figure out how to turn on the television and how to use the rotary phone, they would die in that room. <laughs> They'd never figure it out. They'd be like, whoa, whoa. I press the buttons, but nothing happens. I'm on my phone and nothing's going. They, they need the instructions. Now, those of you that grew up with those things, some of you would even have to remember, okay, how do I do? Oh, yeah, I remember how to do this. By the way, we had a remote control for our TV when I was a kid. I'm not sure. It was wireless. I'm not sure if any of you were as rich as my family was. We had a wireless remote for the TV. His name was Brian. And I'd have to get up and turn the channels. But this morning, we look at the instruction manual for the local church. And I praise God that we don't have to wander and figure it out on our own. I'm glad we don't have to guess. I'm glad we don't have to just kind of make it up on the way. But the Bible tells us a few things and just some very simple thoughts. We see the words here uh, in uh, verse number 2, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, upon the first day of the week. I want to see, number one, this morning, the priority, of the priority of giving. We see the words, the first day of the week. But you know that all of us have different priorities. Uh, for some of you, maybe you're like me, the first priority in the morning. How many of you, the first priority is coffee? Amen. That's my priority. I, food, food's not a priority in the morning for me. Uh, but coffee, that's a priority. I'll look at my wife in the morning sometimes and i say, you know what time it is? And she knows the answer. She'll say, coffee time. Yep, it's coffee time. That's a priority for me when I wake up in the morning. Uh, we all have different priorities. We see the first day of the week in the beginning. The question is this morning, what are our priorities? I believe we see in Scripture here in this uh, instruction manual for the local church that this matter of giving, this matter of collection, uh, God makes it a priority. It's not something that we're to, oh, yeah, at some point care for this. At some point this should happen. At some point, we should look at this, but rather the Bible says on the first day of the week. Can I tell you that all of us have priorities, and we prioritize different things. I want to I talk to you for a few moments about some men. Maybe you've heard of them, Peter, James, and John. You heard of those guys? They are the same guys. Maybe you read about them. Jesus took them to the Garden of Gethsemane with them. And he left some of the disciples and said, okay, guys, you pray here. He took these three men and said, hey, you guys come with me. You come a little farther. He took them a little farther away. And he said, okay, guys, I want you to pray here tonight. And I'm going to go a little further and I'm going to pray. So Peter, James, and John, we're talking about the cream of the crop. We're talking about the disciples that were close to Jesus, the followers of Christ. They get down on their knees and they begin to pray. I don't know who started praying, but I'm guessing it was Peter. And they had a prayer meeting. You know what happened in their prayer meeting? Same thing that happens in your prayer meeting sometimes. 
They fell asleep. Jesus came back an hour later. There they were. Drool running down their face. Jesus said, can't you even pray for an hour? And you know what we say? Oh, it's just hard. I mean, they just couldn't stay awake. That You know, just the way they're wired. They just couldn't stay awake to pray an hour. So hold on a minute. In John chapter 21, we find those same three men along with three other men on a boat. And guess what they did? They weren't sleeping. The Bible says they fished all night. Hold on. How come Peter didn't fall asleep? How come James wasn't in the corner? How come John wasn't sleeping? How come he could stay awake all night to fish, but he couldn't stay awake all night to pray? Priorities. By the way, our priorities are very obvious to others around us. Sometimes we're blinded to what our priorities are, but it shows up to others. They can see our priorities. I believe we see here in this matter of giving in a local church that it is a priority. The first day of the week, at the beginning, not, not the end, not, okay, we'll see if I have anything left. I shared an illustration Wednesday night about our dog, Yeti, going to uh, my wife and wanting food, and she'll give him something. Every once in a while, when I'm completely done, if I get full, which doesn't happen often, but if I'm, I'm, I can't eat this last bite, I might say, okay, here you go, Yeti. You can have what's left. But I'm not like my wife. My wife will at the very beginning, oh, here you go, Yeti. Here, you want a bite? Here, you can have some of this. No, 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 no. If I have anything left over, if I don't want it, uh, now, at my house, I don't have to worry about this because my wife is the world's greatest cook. But if the food tasted bad, uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, here, Yeti, you, here, you eat this. <laughs> no. The Bible doesn't say whatever's left. It doesn't say, hey, if you get around to it. We see the priority in the local church, the priority of giving is the beginning. It is to be the priority. Number two, we see here in that same verse, in verse two, upon the first day of the week, Notice there the next part of the verse, let every one of you. We see not only the priority of giving, but we see the person. The person of giving here in God's instruction manual for the local church. Every one of you. We see here personal accountability. We see here the sharing of the load. We see that giving is not a gift that only a few possess in the local church. Rather, it's an action that all of us get to be a part of. The Bible says when Jesus was watching as those gave the treasure, he watched many rich that gave much, and he also saw a woman that every one of us know about if we've read the Bible because Jesus spoke about her and praised her. She was a widow woman who was not a wealthy woman. She was not a woman of means who could come and give. Rather, the Bible says she placed in two mites. Now, that's not very much. That's very little bit. I mean, almost doesn't matter, we would think. And yet Jesus noticed and said she gave all that she had. How wonderful it was that that little widow woman could have the same part the same part as those that gave much according to the world standard. 
we see that there was a, a balance. How many of you have ever tried to lift a car before? Anybody? Come on, surely there's some men here. There we go. I've got some men here that, you know, I remember as a kid, you know, we try to see if we could lift a car up. Remember the old, how many of you remember the old days when cars had bumpers on them you could get a hold of and lift up? <laughs> nowadays, I'm pretty weak nowadays, but if I tried to lift a car up, I'd just rip the front clip off, brother of mine. Uh, used to be cars had these things called bumpers that were made of steel and wrapped in chrome. And you could grab a hold of them and uh, try to lift up. My dad had a little car once he called the pregnant roller skate. It was a little 1970-something Honda. And I've watched my dad. My dad's a big man. But I watched my dad pick the back end of that car up and walk it around and set it back down. And that was a little car. I Just this week, I bought a, a tiny little car, a little Ford Festiva. And I looked at it this week, and I thought, man, if I was younger, Brother Mod, I'd lift the back end of that car up. But I'm not that young anymore. I, I, I don't have, I've got bad knees, I've got messed up shoulder, I'm old, uh, did I mention I'm old? I, I can't do that. Now, years ago, I had an old 1977 Ford Granada, and I was driving that car in a place that I was not supposed to drive it on the college campus where I was a college student. I was driving back in behind the uh, the gymnasium, some of you, Josh, you remember where the gymnasium is, back behind the trees there where that little church building is. I was driving back in there. I wasn't supposed to drive back in there. And it was sandy back in there, Brother Cram, and my car sunk down in the sand of the frame, and I realized I'm in trouble because security is going to find me, and I'm going to be in trouble with the college. So I went back to the college dormitories not far away. I went and I got a few of my friends. I got some beefier friends. And then I got another friend, his name is Brian as well, uh, Brian Wilcox, and just a little teeny guy. We called him Mole Man. Uh, he was a unique little guy. Now, Brian was not very strong. The plan was to get Brian to drive the car, Brian, who had never driven a car in his life. And we put Brian behind the wheel, and I told him, I said, look, I said, when I tell you to, you press the gas a little bit. And me and three friends got on the back, that big steel bumper of that 1977 Granada. And we got down, and there was two of us, actually, three of us all together. I was in the middle, and I had John Brusky and Jeremy Hunt, I think, the three of us. And I said, okay, you guys ready? One, two, three. And we lifted that car off the ground like it was nothing. Now, I was the middle-sized guy in that trio of guys, we weren't little guys. Now, at my strongest, I could not have lifted the back of that car. It's a big car. I could not have lifted that car up off the ground. But when the three of us at the same time lifted, we had no problem lifting that car. Now, when we lifted it, Brian, who'd never driven a car before, hammered on the, the gas. The tires are that far off the ground by the gym. And yeah, he's spinning the tires. And we were walking forward, and we dropped him down, and he took off and almost hit a tree. But we lifted that car. We lifted that car. Why? Because all of us helped. We see the person of giving here. The Bible doesn't speak of, of may this person or this group, but rather let every one of you. I believe we see here the opportunity for all of us to be a part, for all of us to be involved in this matter of giving. As I mentioned, all of us have the privilege 
of holding our place, of lifting what we can lift. Now, the three of us in the back of that car, we had different strengths. I was stronger probably than the guys that were with me, but they could lift what they could lift. You and I have the opportunity in this matter of giving to do what God allows us to do and to carry that burden. Number three, we see here in the matter of giving, the principle of, uh, we see number three, the principle of giving. Uh, Notice in that verse, in verse two again, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you, notice the phrase here, lay by him in store. Lay by him in store. We, We see the principle here of giving that we're to prepare, we're to lay ahead of time, and the Bible says to lay in store. So it's, number one, planned on purpose. Planned on purpose. And then there's the question. Let every one of you lay by him in store, but how much? We have the principle in the Old Testament the principle of the tithe, which the tithe literally means 10%. We see in the book of Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 10, bringing you all the tithes into, there's a word there in the book of Malachi, the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall uh, not be room enough to receive it. We're going to get back to that word storehouse in just a moment, but we see in Malachi uh, to bring the tithes and the storehouse, the 10%. So there's the principle of giving. It's not accidental. It's on purpose to lay by, to plan ahead. How many of you have food cooking at home right now? I'm trying to see what house I'm going to for lunch today. Uh, My wife raised her hand. Praise God. I'm going to be okay. Now, you know why we have food cooking at our house right now? Because at some point yesterday, my wife went to the freezer, and she got out a deer roast. And she laid it probably in the sink to thaw out. And last night, I saw her in the evening as she was preparing it. She was searing it off in a skillet and putting it in the, in the crock pot, and it's uh, uh, getting ready for us to eat. All of us will go eat it after church. Uh, And by all of us, I mean my wife and I. And we'll (laughs) go there and eat that. Why? Because she laid it out ahead of time. Now, if this morning we got up and I said to my wife, I said, what are we we having for lunch today? She's like, well, we're going to have uh, deer roast. Well, that's great. Is it cooking? Well, no, it's it's in the freezer. (laughs) Pastor Rice would be eating McDonald's for lunch today. Because it had to prepare ahead of time. You had to plan ahead of time. She had to, and praise God, she, she does it rather than me because if it was up to me, I would forget. I'd probably have to eat the nasty McDonald's. But she laid it out. She prepared ahead of time. That principle of giving, it was on purpose. It was planned ahead. And number next, number four, we see in that verse, number two, we see the place of giving. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. Now, I mentioned that verse in Malachi 3.10. It says, bring ye all the tithes into the store house, that there may be meat in mine house. In that previous verse, we see that word storehouse. 
the place where they were gathering, by the way, in, in Corinth, the local church in Corinth, the pattern of the local church in Corinth was the same pattern of the local church in Jerusalem, the same pattern of the other local churches that went forth as we were studying the book of Acts on Wednesday night, as they went forth out of Jerusalem, as the gospel went forth, those believers that uh, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, those that would gather, they gathered on the first day of the week with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we see that that group, uh, they assembled together. Uh, that word literally means uh, the church. The word church literally means assemble together. Uh, they church together. They assembled together with other believers. That local church gathered together on the first day of the week. So we see here in the New Testament, in Corinth, as we're looking at in 1 Corinthians, and we could look throughout the, uh, the New Testament, and we could see all those local bodies of believers gathered together on that first day of the week. So what was the place of giving? The place there was a local church. The storehouse in the New Testament is, without question, the local church. So we see the giving here was in that local assembly of believers in Corinth. And that reminder. Number five, we see in verse two, we see the prosperity in giving. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, verse two, as God hath prospered him. Can I tell you, God is the one that oversees our giving. It's not a church board, it's not a pastor. Uh, it's not a treasurer, it's, it's not a, a body of uh, overseers, it's not a, your wife or your husband or your children. Rather, it's God. He's the one who prospers us. Now, there are those who deny there's a God who say, no, I do everything. I provide for myself. I provide for my family. I get up. I go to work. Hold on a minute. How do you get up? Where, where do you get that strength from that allows you to work? It's from God. Amen. You see, God is the one that prospers us. God is the one that prospers every aspect of our life. There was a man named Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph went from a pit to prosperity. Joseph was tossed in a pit by his brothers he, he would go on to be a slave, and in, as a slave in his master's house, the Bible says that God would prosper everything at the hands of Joseph. And then he would go into prison, and in prison, God would prosper everything in the prison thanks to Joseph, because of Joseph. And then Joseph would be risen into power, second to Pharaoh, and God would prosper Joseph. It wasn't Joseph that did the prospering. It was the God of Joseph. Christian, we, we struggle in this area because of our flesh. Let me tell you what I struggle and all of us struggle with. We struggle in believing that we prosper ourselves. We struggle with the idea that, you know, we're, to coin a term from the previous generation, self-made men. But I did it, as the old singer said, my way. Christian God prospers every aspect of our life. As we see the reminder about giving and the need of giving, we see the prosperity of giving is not us. 
Rather, it is God. He's the one who prospers us. We submit to his authority over us as we give according to his prosperity, not according to what we want or what we think. Rather, we can see the prosperity of God. In so doing, he receives the glory, not us. You know, there are many today that they want to give in some aspect of our society or culture, and they want to do so so they can be remembered, so they can be elevated. I'm not discounting uh, those that uh, philanthropic gifts of those that give that, you know, wish for honoring. I, I appreciate them and our culture and our world today, but the pattern of New Testament giving is not to give that we may be uplifted. By the way, it's also not to give that we might be prospered. Uh, we're not talking about the prosperity gospel that is preached by the liars on the television uh, and those false teachers that you uh, see on YouTube. I'm talking about God prospering us giving that God may be glorified. Amen. That's the pattern we see in Scripture. Now, if we make up our own user's manual like the greatest American hero, we fly sideways and mess everything up. But God's reminder is that he's the one that prospers us. We give according to that for what? For his glory. We, we glorify God with that. We give for God. Jesus, as he saw that widow who, who gave those two mites, he was glorified. By the way, the, the wealthy that day didn't even notice. She didn't say, hey, just want everybody to know. That's all I have. No. But Jesus knew. God knew. And we see here the picture of giving here, the prosperity of giving. In so doing, he receives the glory in our giving, not ourselves. Number six the last part of verse 2, we see the purpose, the purpose of giving. Under the first day of the week, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in stores. God hath prospered him. And notice the phrase here, that there be no gatherings when I come. I want to share a quote that my pastor, I heard my pastor who's in heaven now make back in 1993 the first time. I heard him say it several times. But a statement he made that I've never forgotten, the man who would be my pastor for almost eight years of my life, the first eight years of my adult life, God's business is the greatest business in all the world. One of the Edmonton Oilers, I had the chance to meet his dad about uh, 14 years ago. And I went to the home, and the reason I went there was to purchase a couch. It wasn't to meet and greet a famous person's parents. And I went to, I got there, and I was purchasing this couch, and, and I made a joke. I said, hey, I said, your last name sounds familiar. I already knew who this guy was. And I said, I think I've heard your last name before. And the guy laughed. He said, oh, you're probably talking about my son who plays hockey. And I said, oh, yeah. 
I said, wow, I said, I'm meeting a famous person. I, I joked with the dad and the mom, and I, I figured they would want to talk to me about their son. I mean, I'm sure they're proud of their son. And they were. But can I tell you what most of our conversation was, our personal conversation? That dad whose son was famous, everybody knew his son. And Edmonton, he was a hero. The dad said, hey, let me tell you about my son. But he was talking about his other son. And he went on and on telling me about his son who was going to take over the family business. He told me how he, as an immigrant, came to Canada years ago and started with nothing. And how he built a business. He was a, a builder, a home builder and contractor. And how he started from nothing and he built a business and very successful business. This man was a very successful man. Very successful business. Had done very well providing for his family and built a huge business. It was very obvious they were living very comfortably. And he said, now I'm getting old. And he said, my son, his other son, is going to take over the family business. He was so proud to tell me about his boy who was going to take over the business he started. Now He was proud of his boy who was playing hockey. He was proud of the boy who everybody knew. But it was pretty obvious to me he was even more proud of the son who was going to carry on what he believed to be the greatest business in all the world. Can I tell you, God's business is the greatest business in all the world. And as children of God, we all get to be a part of serving in that capacity. The Bible tells us that he's placed us. Paul said he, how wonderful it is that he's counted us worthy. We can be part of God's work. I can call him father. Abba, father, almost like us saying, hey, daddy, in that vernacular of the day, part of his business. He's the, the one whose business truly matters. God allows us to be part of his business, the ministry. 1 Timothy 1.12, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Can I tell you, God will meet the needs of his work. God will meet the needs of his work. How many have ever worked at McDonald's before? How many former McDonald's employees we have here? We've got a couple back there. You know, Elizabeth, her favorite job in all the world, she worked at McDonald's. She dreams of going, leaving her husband and going back to work at McDonald's. Tomorrow they celebrate a year being married, or a year, no, a month. It feels like a year, John said, but it's only been a month. But Elizabeth worked at McDonald's. And when she was working at McDonald's, if she went to put some fries in the fryer, and there was no fries in the freezer. She'd say to her boss, hey, we need some more fries. Her boss didn't say to her, hey, you bring some fries in tomorrow to cook for us. Now, if her boss did say that, uh, corporate, McDonald's corporate would not approve. Because McDonald's pattern is they provide for the needs. It's their business. It's their job. They buy, they buy the product. They store the product. They have their product ready. And they hire folks to cook and serve the product. 
They don't expect the employees to provide the product. That'd be a poor business model. That'd be a ridiculous business model. Why would we think that God would not provide for his work? But can I tell you the other side of the coin is the privilege that we see and are reminded of here in 1 Corinthians that God uses us as channels to meet that need. That's a wonderful thing. I love the story of the little boy with the lunch who gave his lunch to Jesus, who actually gave his lunch to a disciple who would take the lunch to Jesus. And he had a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread. Sounds like a big lunch to me. He was a big eater. My wife packed me a lunch the other day on Wednesday, and I, I came to the office, and then I, I got a phone call from Brother Dinsmore. A missionary was traveling through. I went and met him for lunch, and my lunch stayed in the refrigerator. Friday, I got my lunch out of the refrigerator that she packed me on Wednesday, and I started to eat it, and it was like, I told Colton, I'm like, man, I can't eat all this. I put it back in the fridge. Yesterday, after I went out soul winning, I finished my lunch. I ate it all. Uh, she packed it Wednesday. I ate it Friday and Saturday. I don't, I don't know if he was going to eat some of it on Friday and some of it on Saturday. All I know is he had a big lunch, but he gave it to Jesus. But his big lunch was not enough to meet the need. Two weeks ago, we had a Thanksgiving Sunday, and we fed everyone that came. We had 12 20-pound turkeys that were cooked that day. That's a lot of turkey. 240 pounds of turkey we cooked. We had trays, 10 trays, I think it was, of mashed trays of mashed potatoes. Uh, we had bags and bags of vegetables. We had lots of food. We had to. Why? We had a lot of people to feed. Now, if I had bought one little turkey about the size of a Costco rotisserie chicken, if I put it on the counter and I said to Miss Mitra, Mitra, this is the turkey we're going to feed 230 people with. She would have looked at me and said, Pastor, you're crazy. I, you're going to, we're going to feed, the, this is the turkey right here. We're going to feed 230 people. She just said, there's no way. That's not enough to feed 230 people. That's not enough to feed Pastor Race. Uh, we need more than that. The little lunch that that lad gave to Jesus didn't look like much in comparison to the thousands. But once it was given to Jesus, Amen. it was enough. It was enough. We have a reminder here to this local church in Corinth. This reminder here that this purpose of giving is to glorify God. And the, and the purpose is being a part of the business of God, that there be no gathers when I come. God has, there is a need. There are needs that God wants met and God wants to use us to meet them. Lastly, number six this morning, we'll close with this thought. It says in verse three, and when I come, whomsoever you shall approve your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. We see the plan, lastly, the plan of giving. Why? The why of it. The why is for others unto Jerusalem. Giving is to meet the need of others. John 3.16. By the way, very soon, possibly next Sunday, we're designing a new gospel track to use during the winter season.
the front of the track, it looks like a, a present, no words on it. And you open up the track, and inside it speaks about uh, the greatest gift ever given. In John 3.16, it begins with, it speaks, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God gave not for himself. He gave for you and he gave for me. Think about that. He gave for us. The pattern of giving is for others. It's not giving to get. It's giving to be a part of meeting the needs of others. Giving to be a part of God's purpose of being glorified as others' needs are met. We see the churches in Jerusalem are struggling. The need was for others. Giving is to glorify God. Let me make a very important statement here right before we close. Giving is partnering with God in meeting the needs of others. Partnering with God in meeting the needs of others. Think about that. As we see here, this church in Corinth, and by the way, it wasn't a perfect church. They had some problems. I mean, they had some real problems. By the way, so do we. They weren't perfect. And by the way, neither are you. But yet God wanted them to be a part of his business, the greatest business in all the world. They, they had an opportunity, although they were flawed, although they were struggling, although they needed some growth in their spiritual lives, as they were growing, as they joined together in this local church, God had a purpose for them to be a part of. Can I tell you this morning, just by way of closing, that I believe God wants all of us to partner with him. You see, God is the one that does the work. When I went over to the dormitories when I was a young college student, and I found those guys to come help me with my car that I had stuck in the sand, I said, hey, I want you to come help me. I want you to come be a part of what I'm doing. Now, they came because they were friends of mine, and we had a relationship, but they didn't come because they were doing something for themselves. I couldn't say to them, hey, I want you to be a part of something awesome. No, I'm like, hey, come keep me from getting in trouble. Hey, come get my jalopy car out of the sand. But God comes to us and says, I want you to partner with me. And I want you to have a part in doing something that you can't do without me. I want you to be a part of something that is more valuable than anything in all the world. And I'm sure glad, as Paul said, he counted me worthy. He counts us worthy. And we have this morning God's reminder. Just very simple, very simple words here. Just a reminder of the importance of giving, the, the importance of realizing it's first. That word tithe, and we didn't get into it this morning, it's regarding the first fruits. We think of it in a balance sheet type phraseology. We think of it as an accountant would think of it. In our world, we think, okay, 10%, $100, that's $10, that's 10%, that's a tithe. But it was different than that if you really look at the origin history of the tithe. Because you understand when the tithe began, there wasn't always denominations of money. 
It was a tithe of the flock, and the tithe of the flock was, okay, I know how that works, Pastor. If there's 10 sheep, then, you know, you take one of the sheep, and that's a tenth. But that's not how it worked. In the Old Testament, the tithe was the first fruit. In other words, if you had your sheep were giving birth in the uh, dropping the lambs in the, the beginning of the lambing season, the very first lamb that would be born. Now at that point, how many lambs do you have? You have one, one lamb. That first lamb, that belonged to the Lord. That was the first fruits. And then the next nine that were born, they kept. The 11th lamb born, that was the first fruit. That belonged to God. We think the after, the after side of that, when the principle we see is the beginning. And how awesome that this church that has some problems got to be involved in a great work of helping the churches of Jerusalem who are struggling. And we today have an opportunity of partnering with God in this matter of giving, meeting the need of the world, the need of the gospel, the need of our community, uh, the need of the gospel going forth as God lets us be a part. By the way, I mentioned John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Can I tell you, friend, if you're here this morning, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. He gave himself for you. He gave himself to be the propitiation, the payment for your sin. He died, was buried, and rose again. And the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from hell, saved to heaven. You can call on him today. How about it? Christian, would we be reminded today and challenged and encouraged about this matter of giving according to the scripture? Let's pray together. Lord, I pray you'd bless, Lord, your word. Lord, I, my heart is heavy this morning as I think of those in our world and maybe even those gathered here that may not know you as Savior. Lord, I love the fact that you love me and you love the world so much you die. I love the message of the gospel for it's the message of grace, the message of love. Lord, I pray if there be one here today that knows not for sure if this life was over for them that they'd be in a place called heaven. Lord, I pray this morning that they would understand that you love them, that you came and died just for them, that you were buried and rose again, proving you were the very Son of God, that you made possible eternal life. You paid their debt if they would just believe. Lord, I pray if there be one here this morning that knows you not, that they would today receive that free gift by believing by grace through faith. Lord, I pray for Christians here this morning that we will be encouraged and reminded of the opportunity and the privilege we have in this matter of giving. Lord, help us to get things maybe reset in our heart and our life. Help us to follow your pattern and your plan. And Lord, most of all, I pray that you will be the one that will receive the glory. Lord, I pray if there's other needs here this morning, Lord, I pray that you to work in hearts. Lord, help us now as we come to a time of decision, a time of invitation. Lord, I pray that we, as you have spoken to us through your word, Lord, that we would take time to speak to you. And Lord, we take time to respond to what you've brought upon our hearts even this morning. Lord, I pray decisions would be made today. 
for your honor and for your glory. Lord, would you work in hearts. In your precious name we pray. Amen.